Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Serie A fan. We come to you after a sad week for world football. We'll do our best to pay tributes to the legend that is Diego Maradona, including speaking to a lifelong Napoli fan. We'll also discuss Napoli's performance and round up the rest of the week's action as Milan go five points clear and the Ronaldo-less Juve stutter in this special episode of Scudetto. Hello Serie A fan and welcome to Scudetto. We've got a very special episode for you tonight because like all football fans and Serie A and Napoli fans in particular, we were incredibly saddened to learn of the death of Maradona at 60 last week. True legend of the game, obviously, and uh, an absolute god in Naples. So in part two, we're going to be talking to lifelong Napoli fan Marco Postiglioni, uh, who was at the memorial service in Napoli last week. And we'll also be sharing some of our own memories of watching Diego. So that's part two. Um, and for that reason, we've got a slightly truncated part one, a little bit of a change to the format, but the panel is unchanged. Kenny, good evening. How are you? Good evening, Oscar. I'm good. How are you? I am all right. Thank you very much. Tell us about your civilized beer. Oh, my civilized beer. Today I've gone, I'm not messing around with any of these fruity ones today. Uh, I've decided that I'm just going to go for something that I'm fairly confident I'm going to like. I've got a Brewdog Hazy Jane, and it's a New England IPA, straight down the line, 5%er. Looking forward to it. Sounds like a, a solid choice. Boaz, welcome. How are you getting on? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. I know you've stocked up on IPAs for this evening. Uh, which one have you picked out? I can actually say this on air because my girlfriend never listens to the pod, but um, I went out to, to buy her a birthday present and ended up coming home with 10 new beers. Um, so <laughs> I should be sorted for at least the next three or four podcasts. But for today, I'm having a Dancing Camel Patriot American Pale Ale. It's, uh, I've had it uh, poured in a pint before, so it's the first time I see the branding and they've gone for a classic American flag. So at least it tastes good. And did you get a present? No, I, f- I couldn't find anything. <laughs> oh, no. As I said, it's a good thing she doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Did you pick out 10 beers as a tribute to Diego? Or was that just coincidental? I am. Um, I actually picked out nine beers and I WhatsApped you guys saying I've got nine new beers. And someone said, why don't you get 10 as a tribute to Diego? And so uh, I picked another random IPA. And the guys were a little bit phased by the fact that I pretty much bought every single IPA they had in the shop. Fantastic news. Um, well, I've done better than last week. I have actually got a beer uh, this evening. You'll be pleased to know, Kenny. It's actually the one I was intending to drink last week. It's called the Slow Smoked Santa. And the can is 
as usual magnificent. It's uh, it as from this brewery, the Puniki Puniki Brewery near Helsinki, and it's got a sort of uh, I guess it's a sort of mosaic image of Santa with his legs in the air sticking out of a chimney. It's very cool. You should have kept that one for our Christmas piss up. Yeah, good point. I mean, I, I was actually looking at the shelf. There are a lot of Christmas beers that I can try out. So don't worry, that has not been exhausted. Anyway, so that's beers out of the way. Let's, uh, let's move on to the football, starting with Inter, who won 3-0 away at Sassuolo. But Sassuolo sort of gave Inter a two-goal head start, didn't they, Kenny? It was, uh, they made it quite easy for them. Yeah, they did. Uh, I mean, I think this was one of the games that we were all looking forward to coming into uh, coming into the weekend. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened. We we kind of said that, or, or I said that this was an opportunity for Sassuolo really to kind of throw their hats in the ring for a Champions League spot. Uh, if that's what this occasion was, then uh, arguably they, they they failed that that test um, having said that Inter did look good Lautaro in particular was uh, was on fire uh, but I just don't really know what to make of Inter I mean you, you watch them you watch them in midweek and they're a calamity you watch them at uh, the weekend and yeah they pull out a result like this against the the second team in in the league but yeah good good win for them yeah, um, I mean, we, I've said on here before that we shouldn't criticise uh, Swallow too much for defending badly, because obviously the way that they play does kind of mean there'll be holes. But having said that, in that performance from Kirikas Boaz was, uh, it was bad, wasn't it? I feel sorry for him because we gave him a shout out a few weeks ago and he's obviously a listener and he got a little bit excited. <laughs> um, he's... Uh, <laughs> definitely. He's... Um, very much to blame for the first goal, which was calamitous. He both uh, mishits a ball right at the beginning, and then he has a couple of chances to to make amends, but both times he uh, kind of slips over himself, kicks the ball in the air. Basically, disaster, and then he scores an own goal for the second one. And to uh, kind of put a cherry on top, he gets injured in the 40th minute and comes off. So not the best day for poor Vlad. Yeah. yeah, I hate to say it, but that is the kind of uh, the Kirikas that we remember from his, his time <laughs> at Tottenham, really, isn't it, Kenny? Yeah, yeah. He kind of looked a bit like a turtle uh, on his back in the first goal, I think. <laughs> Just his legs kind of going away while he couldn't, couldn't do anything else to control himself. It was slightly comical. Yeah, not a game to remember for him, I don't think. Okay, um, let's talk a little bit more about Inter, though, because, Buzz, you mentioned this before, but why is Conte always angry? when Inter win and happy when they lose. Do you think this is some sort of a mind game? So I think this has coincided with Inter losing or not winning quite a number of games in a row. I guess to sugarcoat it or some other mind games, Antonio decided that the best course of action was to become kind of a vanilla zombie. It was really disheartening. I, I, I didn't recognize him and the, the things he was saying after major losses and disappointing or dare I say even embarrassing outings where things like the game, the, the team is playing well, we're all going in the same direction. And now that he's finally winning a few games, he started having a go at the press. He's uh, been very aggro in his last two interviews and he seems to want us to ignore the fact that um, they had a terrible game against a Real Madrid side that was missing some of its best players in, in midweek and essentially they're out of Europe after with two games left 
Yeah, you're right. It almost seems like some kind of a strange defense mechanism, doesn't it? I mean, I I highlighted Mourinho doing the same thing in reverse after a goalless draw at Chelsea where he was even telling the press that yeah, I'm not happy with this result with a massive grin across his face. Always, always funny when managers try that sort of. So you kind of alluded to Mourinho and in, in many ways, I think Conte is kind of a dollar store uh, Mourinho in the, in the sense that he maybe doesn't have the same... Uh, the same trophy cabinet, apart from the leagues he won with uh, Chelsea and uh, Juventus. Of course, he's never won in Europe. But more to the point, his whole uh, act is a lot less uh, calculated than Mourinho's in my mind. And it's, it's always a bit strange because ultimately he could just let his football do the talking. Yeah, um, he does have some fans though. I know Kenny's possibly not among them, but the, uh, the, the owners of uh, Inter... One of the Jangs was uh, vocally supporting him after the game, wasn't he? Um, I don't dis I don't dislike Conte. I find him perplexing in the same way that uh, I guess you guys do. But yeah, so this is a comment. This is before the weekend result in response to the the Real Madrid result, where they basically came out and said uh, they they named him on sort of first name basis. They were talking about Antonio rather than Conte. And they were basically saying so long as the club is pulling in the right direction, so long as there's progress season on season, uh, then, you know, everyone's happy. The problem I have with this is that very obviously there isn't progress season on season because they're, as Boaz just said, they're out of Europe. They're out of the Champions League again. Uh, the only way they can improve on last season in Europe is by winning the Europa League. We don't even know yet if they're going to be in the Europa League, uh, although I suspect they probably will. But uh, domestically as well, they the only way to improve on last season is to win the league. And the way they're playing at the moment, the, inconsist- the inconsistency that they're showing, I don't think that they're going to do that. I, I did have them down at the beginning of the season as being my favourites, but I, I don't think that's the case anymore. Having said that, I don't actually know who my favourites are at this point. And it has to be yeah. said that the league is very tight at the moment, so uh, even Inter, even Juventus who are behind, anything can happen, people can drop points. But uh, going back to what we said at the very start of this segment, um, an angry Conte is equal to an, a winning Conte, so I, I'm sure if you're an Inter fan, you might be quite pleased to see that uh, angry Conte is back and maybe that... Tr- kind of translates into more aggression, more um, more voglia di vincere on the pitch. So uh, that's uh, that's what I have to say. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about kind of title favourites when we discuss some of the other teams in that race in a little bit. We've got one more talking point on Inter, actually. Inter fans will be happy with, with paying them back for the 20 minutes we spoke about Milan last week. <laughs> but just because uh, it was quite controversial, that Vidal red card in the, in the Champions League game last week, Looked like, I mean, it, it was two very quick yellow cards, actually, for, that were issued by Anthony Taylor. First for protesting a decision and then continuing to protest a decision. Uh, what did you make of that, Kenny? I I was actually going to give Anthony Taylor a dishonorable mention for this, but um, apparently our rules forbid it. So, uh, so here we are speaking <laughs> about it in the main section instead. Uh, I think it's pathetic refereeing. If what has been reported to have been said by Vidal is actually what was said, then I think uh, I, I don't see any any way that that's a reason to, to send the player off. So the first thing to say on this, I think, is that the referee 
got the decision right. Actually, the the so say penalty or or no penalty uh, on Vidal. I think the defender gets there and gets the nick on the ball. But the 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 issue I have is that Vidal then goes and protests quite aggressively. Protestly. perhaps. Yeah, I mean he gets a yellow card, and it's right that he gets a yellow card for that. The problem is that afterwards, Anthony Taylor completely loses control of the the situation. And just because he continues to protest, and I think also because there are other Inter players around him continuing the protest, he decides to whip out another yellow card and send him off. And yeah. what reportedly has been said is that he said, they give you VAR to check this shit and still I get nothing. And that warrants a second yellow and a sending off. I I think any reasonable referee, a good referee, a referee who knows that their job is equally about managing a game rather than just punishing players and calling uh, free kicks, takes him aside, says to him, look, I've just booked you, calm down. If I have to book you again, then obviously you've got to go off. And I think that diffuses yeah. the situation. He doesn't do that. He just immediately... I see what you're saying. The, the I do yellow. see what you're saying. And I agree that maybe have been managed better by the referee but i just think it's brainless from vidal and i think if you react like that to a referee you an experienced player like vidal as well you know that you're running the risk of getting sent off not only does he continue to protest to anthony taylor he puts his forehead into anthony taylor's face while as you say he's surrounded by other inter players i think you're asking to go at that point i i don't actually see him doing that i mean i watched it again after you said this to me i i I see that he still kind of faces off uh against him but i think look i was i i know that he's he's very very highly regarded but colina uh for example would have just given him the death stare and that would have been the end of it vidal is obviously very agitated at that point and that's why he keeps going on it needs someone who's managing the game his haircut that gets him sent off if anything he just looks aggressive <laughs> i think Boaz wanted to come in on this as yeah, well yeah what, what do you think i probably don't feel as strongly as either of you on in this circumstance so what i will say is that this is possibly a case where vidal's reputation uh preceded him and that anthony taylor recognized this player who has a name for being slightly aggressive slightly above the the law let's say and so therefore he wanted to show his uh dominance i think it's a bit of a ego trip but um vidal should have known better yeah anyway we now talked about inter for almost as long as we talked about milan last week so let's move on and milan a good result for them they they beat fiorentina 2-0 perhaps we were expecting a bit of a new manager bounce for fiorentina they didn't get it did they buzz uh, but milan showed that they can do it without zlatan yeah this game was um, pretty much wrapped up by the end of the first half milan had uh, 17 shots to fiorentina's four or five in the whole game overall a deserved victory and uh, a great performance considering as you said that zlatan was missing this result means that uh, Milan have now gone 29 games scoring consecutively in the league, which is their, they've equaled their all-time record. They've also scored two or more goals in the 11 or more occasions in a row, which is also a club record. And um, as you said, Zlatan was missing, but their win record without Zlatan goes up to about 82%. So um, this is one of those games that uh, definitely allows some, let's call them squad players, to grow in confidence. For example, Tonali, who uh, replaced Benacer, and uh, Rebic, who is back from a long-term injury. 
I love to be the one who raises a polemical point about my own club, but there were two very soft penalties in this game in my mind. I don't know if you guys saw them. The first penalty Milan were assigned with uh, Salamaka was through on goal, and he manages to get a shot off, but as he gets a shot off, uh, he gets kicked in the in the foot. This is one of those eternal questions in football. Are you you're kind of in theory you're allowed to do whatever you want to a player after he's taken a shot. You can lynch him, you can smash his legs. But in this case the ref was uh, very much by the book. This is the one that Cassie scored. Yeah, this is the first one. I've heard people professional refs and people who are have opinions about this kind of stuff have no argument about this penalty, but I think maybe if I was a Fiorentina fan I'd be a little bit angry. And the second one, this is the one where Actually, re- former refs and a few uh, Italian journalists felt that this was not a penalty. Again, uh, there is a, a through ball in and uh, Teo Hernandez is in the area and he, he turns on the ball and uh, there's the uh, Fiorentina player slightly puts his hands on him and he goes down. The media in Italy felt that the, both players were holding each other's shirt, but for me it was kind of obvious that uh, his movement was stopped. Having said that, Kessie missed the penalty, and so it does. It doesn't really matter. And again, he's we, got an even. So I was just going to say he's got an even worse conversion rate than Zlatan now in Syria. So I, I was going to say that the penalties is, are becoming a real issue for Milan, and of course, in a game like this where it, it was kind of easy, that's not a problem. But uh, I think really, I, both of Kessie's penalties were very, very softly taken. That's cool if you're hitting the target and the goalkeeper is going the other way. But as soon as the goalkeeper jumps in the right direction, he's going to stop those. Who would you give them to out of interest? Teo Hernandez just blasted down the middle. I mean, last year, Kessie was blasting them. And so I'm, I'm not sure why he's decided that he's now doing this really slow uh, run-up and trying to place them. And he, he's not even placing them too well. So again, maybe I'd give it to, I'd give it to someone who can smash it. I, I, I'm a real fan of penalties that are hit with venom. To me, the, the, in the first, the first penalty, he waits to see where Dangovsky dives and that's why he's slow. I think he's keeping an eye on that. The problem is that that works once. The second time, the goalkeeper just waits to move because while, yes, when the goalkeeper moves, it's easier to, you know, you've got more of the goal to aim at. You you know what direction the open goal is, basically. It's also more difficult to accurately find the the corners and i think um he called his bluff on the second one and that's why it was uh, relatively easy for him to to stop it Kessie did say he will take the next penalty did he i was gonna say maybe um maybe there's a case for having different ways of taking penalties not just different directions but um and i thought both were penalties actually the first one i yeah i have no no problem with i think there's definite there's definite contact and it can very very probably had an impact on the effort that was it was Salimakers was it the first one you said was yeah uh the second one I think he I think it's Caceres was it who put his arm out I think he pretty much he impedes him he quite clearly impedes Taylor Hernandez for me I think that's a penalty as well uh I'm not a Milan fan and I quite like Fiorentina despite the Yakini uh Year. Were you expecting more from Prandelli, Kenny? Um, well, they won against Udinese in the Coppa Italia. I don't think with the with Milan in the state they're in, I don't think you can expect to necessarily take anything from that game. Milan are five points clear at the top of the league for a reason. Uh, and the first game, he had the squad for 
all of about three days after the international break, really. So I, I think it's a bit early to to judge. Really, I think he's not had the he's not had the easiest of uh, situations to to walk into. I will ask me again, maybe in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I I wouldn't say I was expecting more from from these three games. Um, they got through, albeit in extra time against uh, Udinese in the Coppa. So that's successful. I wouldn't have expected them to take anything from Milan. And like I said, the first game, they didn't have any time to prepare. And Fiorentina did have a couple of chances eventually in this game. Um, they did hit the bar with uh, Vlaovic and Ribéry was 1-1 with the keeper and he tried to chip. In both uh, situations, Donnarumma was immense and possibly with a, less, uh, with a lesser keeper that those would have been goals and it, we'd be talking about a different game here. Kenny, you mentioned that uh, Milan are five points clear at the top. And obviously, it's a strange timeline for the season. We're only a quarter of the way through. Mm-hmm. Whereas normally now, we'd be you know, looking at who's going to be winter champions. But the, if anyone's favourites, uh, Milan have got to be up there, surely. Yeah, I, I, I said quite early on in the season that I wouldn't be surprised if Milan were challenging for the title. I am surprised that they're in this position at this time. But I think I said it last week, and it's more more the case this week. At a certain point, you've got to speak about them being title contenders. They're five points clear with a quarter of the season gone. They've played four of the other uh, sides that are placed in the in the top nine, uh, the same as uh, Inter have. They look good. They can win without Ibrahimovic. And another thing is that... Uh, even when Ibrahimovic is gone, I think you feel his presence. I think he's got so much influence. What happens on the on the training field at, at Milan? You've, the players are coming on leaps and bounds, and people like Leao, who maybe was short of confidence before, he's obviously put an arm around him, uh, reassured him, given him some tips, given him advice, and I think that translates into what you into what you see when when he's not around as well. There's more belief to this squad. Uh, since Ibrahimovic came on, and that's true whether he's on the field or not. Perhaps the yeah. best example of that is uh, Calabria, who we've mentioned a few times. He was definitely on his way out. He was booed by fans. He was uh, he became a kind of a uh, punchline for a lot of ri- rival fans, and now he's playing phenomenally. And he debuted for Italy for the first time in the last international break. So that's that's a player who went from really night to night and day. The differences. Yeah, uh, and speaking of players with a big presence, uh, let's talk about they who've dropped more points at Benevento. Ronaldo left out, rested by Pirlo. Uh, was that the right call? What do you think, Kenny? So Pirlo said uh, it wasn't a surprise that Ronaldo was left out. Pirlo said that Ronaldo needed a rest before this game. He also said that I think he'd picked up uh, a knock in uh, in training beforehand. I mean, he's going to have to rest at some point. The question, the question, I guess, is why not rest him for the Champions League game, given that Juve are pretty much through when this this league game obviously uh, you know every point counts at the end of the season you you tally them all up i it's a big worry i think for juve that they seem so dependent on ronaldo more so than uh, milan are dependent on ibrahimovic as i as i mentioned more so than inter are dependent on lukaku i would say that's that's uh, a a big worry and he is right that at some point 
they have to be able to to turn out. They're Juve. They've got the biggest uh, playing budget. Their their squad has the biggest budget in the league. They should be able to win games uh, against newly promoted sides without Cristiano Ronaldo in the team. That said, Pirlo said in the in the press conference afterwards that the team he, he said it's a young team, um, but it didn't have a lot of character, a lot of personality. I think that's fair comment. Yeah, they they need to turn it on really if they're going to get that tenth title in a row because Milan are just getting further and further away, and if Inter start putting in some. Uh, a string of victories then enraging performances enraging San Antonio Conte <laughs> yeah start infuriating Conte by winning too much then uh, it might be too late for Juve indeed and uh, there were already worrying signs for Juventus in the midweek game against Finnick Vowers where it looked like they weren't really that motivated to play well and bizarrely this has translated over to the midweek Serie A game and as Kenny said these points kind of these points dropped along the way are accumulating and obviously if they'd won this game then um, Ronaldo's absence would have been kind of not not even a big deal but seeing him not be not even be in the, at the stadium and uh, uh, not be on the pitch and them getting such a terrible result is indicative uh, I do have to say that uh, Morata's goal was fantastic whoa yeah I agree. Yeah, absolutely banger okay um, we're gonna have to race through the rest of the games uh, Lazio Lost, uh, lost at home 3-1 to Udinese after a win in Europe. A uh, bit of a strange one, but a great team goal um, from Udinese for the first one. Uh, Spezia 2, Cagliari 2 was apparently a good game, according to Baez. have to admit I didn't watch it. Samp 2, Torino 2 was a draw that really suited neither team. And Atalanta lost at home 2-0 to Verona off the back of a sort of historic victory in the Champions League, actually. And I wanted to give an honourable to uh, Gasparini for getting his revenge on Liverpool. So that kicks off our honourable mentions. Uh, Buzz, you wanted to give one to Pavoletti. Yeah, I want to give an honourable mention to Cagliari striker Pavoletti, who has scored for the first time after 553 days. He had a really bad injury and also he was left out of the team through some uh, through his own misdeeds. And so to see him back on the score sheet is great. And he's a real character. He's one of these uh, faces you love to see and say, yeah, so good on him. Some goal as well, wasn't it? I think it was a back heel. I've watched it, but I've watched the, the replay about three or four times. I think it was a back heel, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a nice way to reintroduce yourself. And Kenny, you've got an honourable for, we, we mentioned Donnarumma's save, but you, it's for keepers in general, because uh, I think Silvestri gets one as well. Yeah, for Donnarumma and Silvestri, really, for excellent, excellent performances. Um, some of some of the reflexes on uh, on show, uh, absolutely fantastic. And Donnarumma once in particular on, uh, I think it was Frank Ribery who was who was clean through. And we talk a lot about strikers, about good goals, like the last one that we just discussed. Um, often we don't give enough credit to to the keepers. Um, Silvestri as well at one point made a triple uh, a triple save for Verona against Atalanta. So that's that's my honourable mention for part one. Good stuff. And Baez, you've got just a couple more. Uh, one for Benucci. Yeah, there was a survey that went around to uh, discover who was the favourite player in each of the U- United States. Unsurprisingly, um, Messi and Ronaldo featured quite heavily, as well as Pulisic, the local hero. But then all the way in South Dakota, Bonucci apparently is the favorite player, which <laughs> struck me as really bizarre. 
I think we need a recount on that one. No? Okay. Buzz, you got one more honorable? Yeah, I'm going back to the Cagliari Spezia game, and there was a fantastic uh, assist for the goal from Spezia. There was uh, the left back is actually maybe in tribute to Diego Maradona, but he he drags the whole defense all over the place and then places a fantastic cross in, which is a great goal. But then straight away, I want to give a dishonorable mention to goal scorer Giazzi, who did, did this bizarre bunny rabbit uh, celebration right after his goal and kind of ruined the whole build-up. Was there a meaning to that? It was very weird. We'll find out that it was something really deep and we, we were dissing him for yeah. doing something, a yeah. tribute to his, to his grandpa. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Thanks, guys. That's all we've got time for in part one. We'll be back to talk about Napoli, Roma and Maradona in part two. Hello, Serie A fan. Make Scudetto a part of your weekly football fix. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favorite listening platform and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at ScudettoPod. We'd love to have you on the squad. Welcome back to part two. Now, as promised, most of this part is dedicated to Baz's interview with uh, Marco. Obviously, the subject matter needs no introduction, but anyone that is unfamiliar with Diego's time at Napoli, I'd recommend checking out Asif Cavadia's documentary, Diego Maradona. After the interview, we'll, we'll discuss our own memories and stories of uh, watching Diego, and then we'll discuss the Napoli game. Uh, Baz, do you want to introduce? your interview yeah definitely so um marco postiglione was a lifelong napoli fan and uh he actually witnessed uh, diego play quite a few times including his first ever game and i thought it would be nice to hear the thoughts of someone who is actually in naples at the moment and could kind of try and convey the emotions going through the city hi 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 boss how are you i'm doing good how are you doing uh, so and so but so it's uh Difficult time now for uh, Napolitan people, but well. Makes sense. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what Diego has meant to you and your earliest memories of him? Well, uh, I told to a friend last night that uh, a lot of people call uh, Diego as a a king, but I don't think so because when a a king dies, there is another one. And now in Napoli, in, in all the world, I think that all the people doesn't need another king, but he was a god and hmm. uh, is immortal. I think it's he's immortal. So it's it's definitely a huge loss for uh, Naples, the city, and also Napoli, the club. Yeah, he's a he's a symbol. He was a symbol. Uh, he's a symbol. I think he, he's still alive. Hmm. And uh, is someone more than a than a than a soccer player, more than a I I, I don't know. How can I can say because I I have to repeat always is a god for us. He's an icon. I think, yeah, more than that. I, I was telling my <laughs> yes, uh, yes. my mother-in-law that he's like uh, Van Gogh, like uh, uh, Beethoven. He's the best yeah, of the best yeah. in his field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best character and the best player, I hmm. think. I know you went to the what I, I guess I'm going to call it San Paolo, maybe one for the, for the last time. But I know you went there the other day. What did you see there, and what was the atmosphere like? Uh, I think that when when we I I, I read the news uh, live on Sky TV because we are now in Napoli, we are in a red zone, uh, <laughs> a sort of lockdown, so always uh, on TV. 
<laughs> and um, and it was uh, terrible because uh, uh, I I need to to see it. I need to 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 breathe because was was terrible. Was a terrible news. And, and that night was really really horrible. But the day after, when I went to the stadium, uh, I don't know how can I say it was a, a sort of. Uh, Something, something good in the air because all the people were there to celebrate um, Diego, and uh, the, the atmosphere was uh, was magic, was beautiful. I think so. The 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 pain became a sort of uh, serenity. I, I, how can I say? And um, the atmosphere was uh, was uh, just like this. We were we were there in silence, watching. All the flowers uh, and everything that the people uh, put on the on the on the stadium, and uh, I think it was uh, better than the night before when we had the news. Makes sense. What is your earliest memory of Diego? I, I know you saw him live. Um, what are you? What is? Yeah. Yeah. What is your earliest memory? My father was a, a big big fan of Naples. My uncle played in Naples in the 60s. Wow. So we 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 talk about Napoli in our house since we were child since I was a child and uh, age 6 my father decided to put me on the on the on the scene so uh, with my brother we went to the stadium in uh, 1986 87 wow. on march uh, napoli against sampdoria and it was my first time and uh, well first time maradona scored a very incredible goal with his head uh, on the on the grass uh, something totally incredible. And I think, oh, he's a magic, he's a magician. Hmm. And uh, I understood that day that Maradona was something special, something over everything. And it was uh, my first memory. And it is, is it in my mind every day, every day when I think at that day, uh, I, I smile, I, I'm happy and uh, I started to appreciate soccer and uh, my hard passion for uh, for Napoli. Here is is very special. You can understand, my friend. Napoli soccer is something special in this city. It's not a uh, uh, thing like others. It's a, a kind of religion. Hmm. That's why Diego was a sort of god. I understand. So I, I assume you don't have any issues with the renaming of the stadium. I think it's it's uh, obvious. The, after a second, when uh, we had the news that Diego was uh, uh, was in the air, his soul was in the air. <sighs> the first thing we all, all, all Napolitan people said was, "Okay, now San Paolo had to change his name in uh, Maradona Arena, San Diego Armando Maradona Stadio." It's obvious. It's something that happened immediately. Um, because uh, the, we don't need the the, the law, we don't need a, yeah. a, a rule. It's just like that, just now. And uh, tomorrow, Napoli will play against uh, Rome. Uh, it's a big game. Big game, very important. Yes, for uh, for for us, because uh, it's uh, we 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 don't know now what Napoli is. Uh, but tomorrow, maybe we we will have a 
an idea and uh, so I, I told about the sta the stadium uh, it's obvious uh, I, it will happen also in Rome when uh, in the next uh, 90 years Totti Totti will uh, left, leave the planet I think the Stadio Olimpico will be renamed in Francesco Totti maybe only Roman people can understand how Diego was important for us with Francesco Totti it's a uh, it's a comparison that I don't know if you can... Uh, I quite like that. I never thought about it, but that, but I quite like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it will be the same for, the, for, for them. And finally, how are you feeling about this season? You touched upon it lightly before. Well, um, I think it's a very, very strange season because COVID uh, changed everything uh, in the last season. And now... Um, Juventus uh, tie with uh, with Benevento, Inter uh, sometimes win, sometimes lose. Uh, Napoli scores four goals against Atalanta, but then uh, lose against Sassuolo. It's very interesting, I think. And uh, Milan uh, maybe now is the more. Uh, it's 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 a, it's very uh, a team and, and a group on its own, and they are uh, so strong because they play together since last season when Milan chose Ragnik, the all the all the players maybe uh, Ibrahimovic, the other god. <laughs> um, they went around his trainer Pioli and uh, they make a group. They make a, just like a rock band. I don't know. They stay together and they started to win. And uh, the Milan company decided to to leave Pioli on the on the bank, on the bench. And I think Milan now is the more compact group, strong group, strong band hmm. uh, in Serie A. Interesting. Uh, I hope that uh, Napoli could uh, could be a long running uh, uh, success, and we hope so. So we hope we hope something good for this season, but I don't know. I still don't know. It's very strange. All strange. We're big fans of uh, Ossiman on on this podcast. Oh, me too. He's uh, very excited. <laughs> I, I love that he plays a, with a smile on the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah, he's a he's a diamond. I think, and uh, he's a good good, good guy uh, with a very hard story uh, in his life, and I hope he will score. Uh, a lot and make Napolitan people happy. Definitely. Uh, just just like uh, Careca, Maradona, Cavani, and I don't wanna I don't wanna say with it that play that Argentinian player that we had <laughs> and uh, Gonzalo something like we that. won't mention him. No, no, no I, I I don't remember. He's retired him. in Miami uh, right the now. The surname. He's retired in Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fat. And so. So a final question before uh, Higuain sues us, but uh, a final question is uh, what's going on with Koulibaly? Because he's been a little bit off the pace. I think he, maybe he was to blame for one of the goals against Milan. Looks like he's not, his head is not switched on this season. Uh, I, I don't think so. I think that um, when obviously he's a player that could play in a very top team uh, on in europe but i think all the old napoli team uh, is not playing good and uh, kulibali is one of the best player we have and i think uh, that he will have a good redemption very very, very soon well we hope so well, Marco, thank you very much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it. And um, 
much love to Diego, I guess, from all of us and much love to the city of Naples yeah. that is a fantastic footballing city and for me, one of the best places to watch Serie A football. I, I want to I say another thing about Diego. Go for it. Diego was uh, something special, you understand that? that but um, uh, I hope that in the future, Napoli could have uh, another big uh, player just like I don't think just like Diego but something something special like like him and Napoli could uh, I hope in the future Napoli could win uh, other championships and maybe uh, other European Cups we have uh, to impress the memory of Maradona in our minds in our in our lives but in the future we have to go on and do something special just like happened 30 years ago I totally agree Thanks, Marco. Okay. Uh, have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you, boss. Seems like a, a lovely guy, Marco Baz. Egwene might have taken a little bit of offence, although he has been <laughs> worse by, <laughs> by his own club president in the past. Um, but yeah, great to hear from Marco on that. Um, just before we move on to how Napoli got on this week, um, anything that either of you want to add to our tribute? I mean, my own contribution is quite limited. Never watched him live. Obviously, kind of enjoyed learning about him through old clips and uh, the documentary that I mentioned earlier. Kenny, anything to, to add to that? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I moved to Italy in 1986, uh, and I was always a football fan. Uh, those first few years, I was obviously very young, but I always remember Trapattoni's Inter, Sacchi's Milan, and Maradona's Napoli. And the fact that it was Maradona's Napoli and Maradona was a player probably tells you how influential he was on. Uh, he was on the field and off the field. Uh, I think the first real memory that I have of seeing him playing regularly was the tournament that moved me from someone who loved football. Uh, you know, they say in Hollywood movies, uh, I, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. So the thing that moved me from loving football to, to being in love with football was Italia Novanta, the, the World Cup in Italy. And in particular, the memories of Maradona in that, I think the ones that stick out for me the most, um, well, the one that sticks out for me the most is probably the semi-final um, against Italy uh, in Naples. It was the first It was the first game that Italy played away from Rome in that um, in that World Cup, and it was uh, a very tense affair. Uh, Scotland were long gone by that time, obviously being uh, the semi-final of a, of a World Cup. So Italy were the team that I was obviously supporting, um, and I remember that Italy team had Baresi, had Maldini, Baggio came off the bench, had Vialli. Uh, there's some real superstars in that um, in that Italian side. And yeah, yet again, I think testament to how Maradona carried a lot of teams that um, that he played. Well, Napoli and, and Argentina really um, he carried. And I, I think just how fortunate in Italy uh, we all were basically to witness the height, the pinnacle of Maradona's career. Because uh, I was listening to Italian radio earlier and the tributes were coming in and they were saying that Maradona won very little before Napoli and uh, very little afterwards. And Napoli won nothing before Maradona and then won nothing afterwards, which and it's not quite true. I mean, they won Coppa Italia, obviously, last season. But um, just such a such a 
superstar. And who cares if he's the best that's ever played? He he was otherworldly when he was playing. And yeah, one of my earliest footballing memories, really, it was always Maradona. Everyone wanted to be Maradona. Everybody got the ball and they were like, Maradona, Maradona on the ball. Yeah, so lots of memories. Yeah, uh, lovely tribute there, Kenny, and um, absolutely must have been insane to be to be at those games in Napoli. Buzz, did you want to want to chip in with any anything additional before we move on? So my memories of uh, Diego are also based around the Italia Novanta, although maybe I'm living them vicariously through my father, who at the time traveled all over Italy and caught, I think, about 48 of the 56 games in that World Cup or something crazy like that. And he was um, both at that semifinal that Kenny mentioned between Italy and Argentina and the final with Germany. So he got to see the great man live. And um, I just, I, this is actually probably my, one of my earliest footballing memories, but I just remember the whole city falling quiet when Diego scored the, the penalty against Italy and just how the whole, it, it was like there was uh, bullhorns going on, there was people shouting, there was screams, and then it just went so quiet. Of course, uh, one of my other one of my favorite anecdotes that I read in this week about Maradona was that uh, when uh, Napoli won the league for the very first time, a huge banner went up in the local cemetery, and essentially it said, "I can't believe you missed this," or something like that. So um, Maradona was uh, godly enough to taunt the dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very fitting. Thanks for that, Buzz. Uh, we do need to talk about the game. Uh, on paper, a fitting tribute to Maradona, 4-0 victory against Roma. Uh, what was the performance like? I think the performance was, as you said, the fitting tribute. The scoreline didn't flatter Napoli at all. And they showed a wealth of attacking options with four different players getting on the score sheet, which is kind of a symmetry that I really like because... It shows uh, a complete team performance rather than maybe one star doing all the work. Um, it was nice to see Insigne, the only local boy in the team, get the goal and a phenomenal free kick, it has to be said as well. Uh, there was already memes going around in the Napoli Twitter sphere with uh, kind of Diego uh, whispering into Insigne's ear, put it in the bottom corner, put it in the bottom corner. So uh, <laughs> I like I like that uh, Diego is will forever be part of Napoli folklore, and um, there is also a great goal from Politano that for me reminded me a lot of uh, kind of five aside football where he wins a, a ball just outside the area and takes a few small touches, goes past a couple of players, gets the keeper to go to the ground, goes around him as well and hits it really hard. So it was it's nice to see that and. Um, there was uh, also a phenomenal team move that uh, resulted in the second goal with uh, the the team, the Rui from the fence backheeling it and getting the ball back and nice a lot of interplay. I think on the basis of the way they're currently playing, Napoli are showing some of the best football in Europe. Um, and when they're on their day, they're sp- splendid to watch. Yeah, Boaz, I think you said to me before you put it nicely when you said uh, it was a city in mourning and... Uh, what better way to uh, lift the spirits than by beating uh, bitter rivals Roma convincingly? Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. I, I don't want to take anything away from the victory, obviously, but Roma really looked a lot worse than, than they have done in recent weeks. I thought, obviously, you had players out to injury and recovering from COVID, but um, they, they just seemed seemed a bit off the pace, didn't they, Buzz? 
Yeah, it looked like they had a, a few early chances and kind of as the game developed, at the, right at the start, it looked like Roma were going to be really into this game. But uh, they soon faded away. And it has to be said that uh, Mirante, who we've praised in the past, particularly against Milan, where he kept the team in the in the match, he's probably strongly responsible for at least two of the goals, if not three. At the same time, he also made a few crucial saves. So I'm not sure we can completely crucify him. But... Um, a rare off day, and as uh, Fonseca said after the game, we were we weren't the best team in the world before this game, and we're not the worst team in the world right now. But of of course, it did feel like they didn't show up, and perhaps a couple of players coming back from COVID, um, they, maybe they were slightly off the pace. Yeah, and, and you do wonder as well if the kind of emotions of an occasion like that might get to them a little bit. Obviously, um, the kind of outpouring. Um, over Diego and uh, Napoli, obviously extra motivated to to get the win from that, and maybe maybe the occasion just slightly overawed them. In terms of positives from Roma, Carlos Perez looked looked quite good when he came on at the end. Uh, had had probably the best chance of the half for Roma, and absolutely as you say, shouldn't be too discouraged by um, what's just a bit of a, a one-off result, maybe. And uh, the news that Kumbala is now um, negative to COVID is also good news for the defense. So, uh, I mean, in a week where they got thrashed four nil, it maybe there's a little there's a silver lining in there somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Any more any more points on that game? Otherwise, maybe we'll we'll go back to the beers and see how how everyone's gone. Well, this this probably falls into the. Uh, honorable mentions section, but uh, I, I think we have to we have to mention the fact that Napoli played this game in uh, the blue and white stripes and black shorts of uh, of Argentina, which was uh, a nice a nice fitting tribute as well. Yeah, it, it, in fact, uh, I think we should just give an honorable mention to all of the tributes, um, at all of the games over the weekend yeah. to uh, Diego Maradona. Uh, we've got a few more honourables and dishonourables for Diego right at the end. Uh, but let's just check in on on the civilised beers because we didn't do that in part one. Uh, Kenny, how's the uh, IPA going down? Yeah, it's really, really, really good. It's uh, nice and smooth, not quite as bitter as the Dead Pony Club. Uh, I think that's probably owing to the slightly higher alcohol content and therefore slightly more uh, more sugar in there perhaps, uh, but really nice. Yes, very strong beer, strong in a, uh, in a uh, level of quality rather than level of strength sense. You've kept the same adjective, but you've changed the modifier there. So I'm trying to stay away up. from it. Paris, <laughs> <laughs> how about you? I usually have this beer at my local, and it's usually quite flat. And now that I've had it in the bottle for the first time, it tastes great. So I, I'm thinking I'm going to change my local and keep drinking this beer <laughs> bottled. Good stuff. Um, so the slow-smoked Santa dark lager is going down pretty well. I've, I've been getting into the dark lagers, actually. I don't know if it's a consequence of having had COVID and my taste buds are slightly dulled. <laughs> but I quite like these multi-tastes a bit more than I did before. Or maybe I'm just maturing 30 this week. Yeah, mm. that's what it is. Anyway, that's enough about my beer. Um, let's do a few more honorables and dishonorables and, and we'll... We'll wrap up. Boaz, you want to kick us off with a dishonorable for Cabrini? Yeah, maybe we'll do the negative ones first since this this episode is supposed to be a joyous affair. 
But I did want to give a dishonorable mention to Juve legend Cabrini, who had the temerity to say that had Diego Maradona played for uh, Juventus, he'd still be alive nowadays. Now, leaving aside the fact that Diego Maradona left Napoli many, many moons ago, and so it's really irrelevant whether he lived in Naples or not. But also, I think even if you think this, now is not the right time to express these opinions, particularly as Napoli and Juventus in the modern day are at loggerheads more so than they were even back then. Yeah, not in very good taste. Definitely not. To keep all our negative points in one compact spot, I will also give a slight dishonorable dishonorable to um, the burial of Diego Maradona. There was a Boca Juniors shirt and an Argentina shirt on his uh, grave, and I just I just felt on his on his uh, casket, and I just felt that after seven years at Napoli, maybe a Napoli shirt would have been fitting there as well. Yeah, I wouldn't be arguing with uh, whoever made the decision, but I, d- <laughs> I definitely <laughs> see your point. I'm not sure who I'm attributing this dishonorable to. It's just maybe, out there now. Can we just make it an honorable towards the idea that there could have been a Napoli shirt? It's a nice idea, yeah. But moving on to positive things. Can you finishing on a positive note? You've got an honourable. I've got an honourable for Gattuso, yes, who in the post-match press conference uh, after that game uh, said, I think he did it very well as well. He basically said, I understand the way the city's feeling right now. Diego Maradona was is a legend. Um, and I understand the, the air that you're all breathing right now. But... I see too many people out at these uh, at these events, these mass gatherings, uh, without wearing any masks, without observing any form of social distancing. And we've got to be careful because this thing is still out there. And if we if we aren't careful, then we'll all pay for it. And I do think that's I do think that's very important. And I think that in the position that uh, Gattuso's in, uh, it's good that. That he says that I, I noted after the Coppa Italia victory, there was scenes of jubilation in the station in Naples. Uh, no one observing any sort of uh, social distancing or anything there. Uh, it's good to it's good to celebrate victories, and it's good to celebrate the lives of arguably the best footballer of all time. But um, yeah, the virus doesn't really care about things like that. So uh, good on Gattuso for saying that. Yeah, safety first as always from Gattuso, at least as a player, maybe maybe as a manager. A little bit more forward thinking. Anyway, uh, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, please do subscribe to our p- podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. Um, we'll speak to you next week. Until then, enjoy the football. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.